The thoughts and opinions on Just Some Podcast are of the hosts and guests and do not represent the views of organizations that employ them or they volunteer for. They are also not responsible for spontaneous black holes or nuclear wars that may occur. You have been warned. Welcome, 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 everybody, to another fun-filled and exciting episode of Just Some Podcast. This is Tom. Hey, this is Ben. Tom, man, how's it going? Well, as I told you off the air, yeah, go ahead and laugh. I'm just, I'll admit it, I am a semi-avid video game player. I mean, yeah, okay, I think that's a, I think our generation is just going to be that. I I think even grown men, we're going to be like, nope, we still have an Xbox or a PlayStation, whatever you choose. Yeah, damn right, yes. And tonight, I am obsessed with a game called Rocket League, and uh, it's as dumb as it sounds. It's soccer with cars, and... um, it's not dumb. It's not dumb, but it's not some, you're not fizzing, you're not doing physics equations. So let's just put it that way. Okay. And uh, I played like crap right before we got in the air. So this is going to be an angry episode, possibly, of just a podcast. Great. Nah, I'll, 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 I'll be fine. It's just, it's just one of those very frustrating. And I think the people out there listening, and we seem to have a few and getting more every, um, I'm sure there are plenty out there that play video games and they understand exactly what I mean. So love you rocket league. And I absolutely hate you. So it's, it's this weird dynamic I got going on with my video games currently. Yeah. Not a sponsor, but if you want to sponsor us, I mean, shit, let us know. (laughs) Yes. Just, just shout out. Yeah. (laughs) But I will say listening to Tom when he plays video games is, enjoyable for everyone else because <laughs> as he gets a little angry he tends to well i mean you've heard him on the show so i mean it's very similar but but less um censored less censored yeah. and faster paced yeah there's yes, no yeah. filter at all yeah so that's that's going to be interesting um as a matter of fact ben and several other friends are trying to convince me to start a youtube channel of just me screaming during video games so that's that's going to be fun for everybody when that gets set up so yeah look forward to that (laughs) yeah so ben how's things going where you're at we're in that kind of weird conundrum of do you send your kids to school do you online school them with you know potential covid you know my kids are seven and ten and so we've sit down and visited with them and talked to them and they both want to try to start at least on in person. So, I mean, that's the route that we're going to go and uh, we'll see how, I mean, we'll see how uh, things go moving forward. Obviously I have a son right in the middle of those ages as well. The school we send him to has a pretty good plan set up that we feel. So we've chosen to have him go in person. And like you said, at least in the beginning, uh, obviously if things get out of hand, we will, you know, pull him out. I, I think you, this is, Georgia looking at you, looking at you, Georgia. <laughs> um, yeah. 
who would have known a state with a governor who didn't even know that you could pass on the virus without symptoms would have had a problem with determining an adequate plan to protect children. I mean, who would have guessed that was the outcome of that type of leadership? Who'd have thunk it? Who would have thunk it? But uh, I get that question quite often from people we work with to patients, like opinions about that. And I try and tell people there is a lot of data out there about what we think is going to happen or projections of what's going to happen. But honestly, it, it's one of the things I don't know that we're going to be able to tell. I will tell you, I've heard several plans from several different school systems because every school seems to have multiple, like we're going to try this or this or this. Yeah. And I yeah. think some of them were great. One of the ones I've heard, I don't know about where you're at, is splitting it up so kids only go a couple days a week. So like group A goes for Monday, Tuesday, group B goes Wednesday, Thursday. Another group, you know, will split Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I mean, I I think there are a lot of options. Yeah. Yeah. I I personally think that's the best plan because the kids get to go to school, but you can really spread them out and give them some of that social distancing that they need, but they're still in school. Yeah. Um I've heard try other people trying to do hybrid and I'm like, Oh, after seeing what everybody went through with online schooling, it's that seems like a rough option, but I, I really do wish everyone good luck. I hope our kids are safe. If you feel like your kids aren't going to be safe, I guess, honestly, your only choice is not to send them. I I don't know what else to tell people. So I've had that discussion quite often with people and I, at the end of the day, I, I kind of have to say it's really what you want. Um, if the school is giving you those choices, I think you need to decide what's best for you and your family. You know, can you have someone stay home? Is there someone that's willing to dedicate that time? Because ultimately, I don't want our kids to suffer. And I don't mean yeah. physically from Ill- from illness. I also mean, you know, I think in a year or two, we will see some traction and getting back probably one year, not two, but who knows. Um, But in the meantime, this is like a valuable learning time for an eight-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old, a five-year-old. Like this is when we're laying foundations of further education. Yeah. So, and social growth and, and all that. So I, I feel for everybody. I don't think that there is one solution that fits every situation. But Hey, you know what? Sports are back. Kind of so, <laughs> not so, not so much in the Big Ten or Pac twelve. <laughs> so oh, yeah, so I hear, and I think you know that uh, video chatting with the drug rep today, and we were talking. You know, it's going to make an interesting draft this year if they don't have a, a big college football season because you're not going to have tape on yeah. your draft picks. You well, know? And, and it's going to be a shot in the dark more or less. And for those that don't like. Um, high level football you might just for fast forward the next few minutes but I would tell you I completely agree because one year can make a huge difference in a player's progression especially at this level like division one college football is high speed high stakes football and they can learn and grow a lot and keeping them out of that one year while may make them healthier which I ultimately the safety is paramount oh, and i absolutely. agree with that. yes but you're right making that transition from even division one which is you know the highest level for college there is a giant leap to professional and depriving them of that 
is going to set back pro teams a little bit, I think. So we'll we'll have to see how and I, I like how other sports are trying to do stuff, though. I have heard a couple funny things um, like with the debacle. Some of the baseball teams are having. Yeah, they're like, so let me get this straight. Eleven guys on a big field that aren't touching each other are spreading covid like crazy. But we could put kids in a crowded hallway in school and expect nothing to happen. I'm like, well, that that's a pretty fair point. Part of that, though, is they're, they opted to not go the bubble route like the NBA did, and you see much fewer cases in the NBA where they are in much closer contact. So, I mean, I think maybe the MLB should have learned from that. Uh, the one thing I do like about that, though, is I love the little cardboard cutout like audience. I mean, that it makes me chuckle. Like, you know, the, the uh, Astros played the other day, and they had uh, Hillary Clinton in there, and they had George and Barbara Bush, and I mean, it was... I think it, it makes you smile a little bit. It does. It does make me smile, and I'm glad we get to see it. I think my favorite cardboard cutout was Bernie from Weekend yes. at Bernie's. That Royals. one, yes. yes, that that made me chuckle pretty hard. So I was I was very happy and excited to see that. And I'm also I'm a big hockey, and hockey's back. So it's a good time as long as they're being safe. And again, I I miss sports, but I really want the players, the fans, everybody to be as safe as possible. So, but having said all that, yeah. Do you think it's time to probably time to, to continue on? Yes, sir. So you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all at just some podcast. You can find us on the web or at www.justsomepodcast.com. Our emails admin at justsomepodcast.com as well. Don't forget our merchandise store is at uh, justsomepodcast.com slash shop. We got all kinds of cool stuff. Plus, we have COVID-19 gear. Matter of fact, I finally got around to ordering my own, finally. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, anyway, Tom, what else can they do to help us out? Well, if they are so inclined before they do any shopping on Amazon, uh, before they put anything in their cart, if they go to our website and they scroll down to just about the bottom, they'll see a link for our affiliate sponsorship. They click on that and then they go do their Amazon shopping. They add things to their cart after they click on that and they do their shopping like they would do any other time, probably 3 a.m. and drunk. And then uh, whatever they buy helps yeah. out the show. And we really, really appreciate that. I have heard the uptick of people having the um, Amazon amnesia where all of a sudden a package shows up. They're like, what? <laughs> what did I? I Why did I buy 12 candle holders? Like, I don't know what happened. But that's uh, that's been pretty funny listening to some of those stories. And apparently this like girl squad thing is like going around on Facebook, you know, where these girls are like buying, like they join Facebook groups and buy stuff. My wife's part of it. And so I'm telling you, if you guys are part of these girl squad groups, click on our link and help us out while you're buying stuff for your friends. Yes, I would. We would definitely appreciate it. So, uh, yeah, that's. Right. Social media. Yeah. yeah, we haven't done a regular show in a I while. Know, it's while a weird, so. so it feels like we're breaking back in here. Well, Tom, let's get into stories that you may have missed. Are you ready, sir? I am sure I missed it. So, yes. Tom, I'm going to I'm going to start this story with a question. Do you dream? And if you do, do you remember your dreams? Um a lot. I would I wouldn't say a lot. Compared to the average public, I'd say yeah, I would probably say 30% of the time I remember my dreams. That's not bad. I I don't as much. I'm maybe 5%. Uh, but there's a new study that came out in the Frontiers in Psychology Journal, and it's 
looking at techniques to control lucid dreaming or how to control your dreams. Uh, this study author is a, a Dr. Asfi, and he's a careful, careful saying that name. Aspy. <laughs> uh, he's a visiting fellow in the School of Psychology at the University of Adelaide in Australia, and they looked at the effectiveness of five different techniques to achieve lucid dreaming. Ended up being a total of 843 participants. Uh, they completed the the study, and. 54.9% had said that they had previously engaged with some lucid dreaming induction techniques. Um, and over the course of the study, he tested, I said, the five different ones. The two that seemed to work the most effectively, one was called MILD, M-I-L-D, which is the mnemonic induction of lucid dreams. And this technique involves waking up after five hours of sleep. And then you practice uh, MILD by you confirm their intention to realize that they are dreaming after they return to sleep. So they do this by repeating a a similar phrase like next time I'm dreaming, I will remember I'm dreaming. Uh, the other one that seemed to be most effective as well was one called SSILD, which is senses initiated lucid dream. It again involves waking up after five hours. And the difference is that the person focuses on sights, sounds, and physical sensations. They focus on this stimuli for about 20 seconds each before going back to sleep. And he found that those two were the most effective way to achieve lucid dreaming. And his statement that I found was really interesting in this, as far as why somebody would want to do have lucid dreaming. He said, one of the applications of lucid dreaming is that it provides a way to have vivid, lifelike, and fulfilling experiences while dreaming that are not possible for some people while they're awake. This could be due to debilitating medical conditions, but also due to circumstances like self-isolation or quarantine when daily habits are disrupted and emotional stressors are high. He does, of course, recommend uh, further studies to find out the mechanisms that make these uh, two techniques so effective and to uh, help with that. But Tom, maybe there's some chances to uh, have some lucid dreaming and be able to control that a little bit more. Well, honestly, the one thing that you said consistently was the five-hour mark. Yeah. I don't I don't sleep a ton and honestly I find you know I've been trying to drink more water especially this time of year and I'm trying to be healthier and I find myself waking up to pee more often in the middle of the night and welcome to getting maybe, old. <laughs> do what? I said welcome to getting old. Yeah. Yes, welcome to getting old. Maybe that's why I've been remembering so much of it is because I'm waking up in the middle of them <laughs> going to pee and then hopping back in bed and maybe I'm just inadvertently doing the mild technique. I don't know. The aim of that uh, five hour mark is to send the person straight back into REM sleep, which is the phase that's associated with dreaming. So in that theory, uh, basically they should be able to achieve lucid dreaming more easily if they wake up by setting an alarm after five hours. So that's where the five hour mark kind of came into it. All I can tell you is, uh, yeah, if you have to wake up and really got to pee in the middle of the night, suddenly you'll find yourself remembering more dreams, apparently. My problem is, I mean, I don't sleep a whole lot sometimes, but my problem is, like, I'll be laying there, and then my brain will decide, you know what? It's time to turn on and start thinking about things. So then I'll, like, pop in my head about something about work or about a case that I've been working on or, you know, something that's made me think harder than normal. And so my brain will kick on at like three in the morning and it's like, okay, we're going to process this now. <laughs> and then I'm just up because I can't go back to sleep because my brain will just like, I physically cannot go back to sleep. So that's it. And I think, and I think, and I think. 
So same thing ha- happens to me often. Something I have found, and I have no scientific proof whatsoever to back this up, but what do you always have with you? What do, What does every person in the world pretty much have with them 24 hours a day now? A cell phone. So yeah. if I find myself stuck on, I got to remember to do this tomorrow, or I'm thinking about something, I will use the notes or the task function on my phone, make a little note to myself, and then I find it's a lot easier to go back to sleep because I took care of it. My brain is like, oh, okay, you made that note. Now, don't get me wrong. I never follow up on it, but my brain thinks I will. <laughs> no, I mean, I have before, but it's not like you would think I'd wake up in the morning and go, oh, yeah, at 3 a.m. I remembered this. No, it's like four and a half months later. I'm like, oh, shit, I wrote that down. So there you go. That's how it usually works. Um, yeah, I, don't, you know, it's good. I don't think I'm alone on that, but I would tell you I have found that to be a particularly uh, su- successful even um, way of getting rid of those thoughts because much the same thing my brain just locks onto something it's like hey you remember that one time in the third grade that guy called you a bad name and you never said something back what would you have said (laughs) and i just oh that's what i'm going to think about for the next two hours now (laughs) so that's what i have said yeah yeah what would i have said my other thing with dreaming for at least for me is like the dreams that i do remember like when i first wake up i'm like oh wow that was you know like i they would remember that and I tell myself, I want to remember that later. And then by the time the rest of the day goes by and I'm like, I get home and I was like, Hey, so I had this weird dream last night. What was it? I don't remember now. Yeah. Like, I tell myself I want to remember it. And then it just, I also have made the mistake of, because it's a dream and we all know dreams have very little to zero correlation with going, what's going on. Like, you know, when you were a kid and I would have a dream of like falling in a money pit, like Scrooge McDuck, clearly that's <laughs> clearly that's not going to ever happen. It's not something I have to worry about. I don't know. You never <laughs> Yeah. Shut up. Yeah. Unless we get that rocket league sponsor, then you never See? know. There you um, go. I would say though, and I, and ladies out there, please don't be mad at me, but this in particular seems to be something that happens to around or because of women. And that is, I'll say something and they'll be like, I was like, yeah, I was in this dream and I was driving this car and I'll be like, and it was one of the girls at work or something. And they're like, what? I'm like, no, she was just in the car. Oh, so you were dreaming about other women? No, that's not what I meant. You're getting you're getting the wrong part of the story. The, <laughs> the important part was we wrecked. Oh, so what was happening when you wrecked? I'm like, oh, God. You know, so it turns into this. And I'm not talking about my wife. My wife's actually pretty. But other people will just lock onto it. They're like, oh. Or I have had past relationships where the female will be mad at me. And I'm like, well, what I do? She's like, I just had this weird dream last night. I'm like, so let me understand this. You had a dream that you know is incorrect, that never happened, has no relation to anything I've done. They're like, yes. I was like, but you're still angry with me. And they're also, yes. Okay. So I'm just going to have to live with that. So I yeah. don't have any. Maybe we'll have to ask Eric because I don't know any of my male friends that have ever done that. Or myself. I've never woke up and been like, I had a dream and I saw her at dinner with another guy and now I'm angry at her. Like, it's never, it's never happened. So is, we'll have to uh, flag that as a, put that in your phone, Tom, as a note. Six months from now, I'll remember to talk about it again. Yeah. So but anyway, if anybody else has had that experience, please let us know because I yeah. don't want to feel like I'm the only person in the world that has run into those problems. Hit us up on social media, email us, whatever. We'll, we'll, you know, we have a contact us on the page, whatever you want to do. It's cool. 
All right, Tom, you ready to get into our uh, our main topic, the uh, thing that draws uh, the most fear in adolescent boys? <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't mean the inadvertent erection in math class. I mean the sports physical. The sports physical. And it is coming up on that time of year where people are going to be cranking out lots of these. So, oh, yeah. yeah, we thought this would be a very appropriate educational and somewhat possibly, hopefully, entertaining subject for us to talk about tonight. Well, I would hope it's entertaining. I already worked the word erection into it. So <laughs> you you sure did. I just remember the last time we tried to talk about a physical examination on the show, and it was rough for us. So <laughs> which one was that? DOT. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. It was a lot of good information, but man, I was like, this is hard <laughs> to make entertaining. So <laughs> well, so we looked up a bunch of different resources and we just kind of want to go through some things and then kind of talk about the physical exam and, and the history and everything. So one thing that I found interesting, Tom, 30 million athletes younger than 18 and another 3 million athletes with special needs receive medical clearance to participate in sports or the pre pre-participation physical evaluation, the PPE. A lot of people. Yes. Also, it kept throwing me off because, you know, with COVID, PPE was such a big thing at the beginning. I kept seeing PPE in all the articles of websites. I'm like, man, this is really going to play havoc with my memory banks for for a few minutes. Like, oh, I got to remember all this. But you are correct. A lot of kids are going to be coming out. One of the good things that's awesome to remember, and this was across all of the sources I looked into, is a very, very small percentage of children are going to require immediate follow-up or be rejected. According to like the websites, one of the sites I used was the Cleveland Clinic website. 10% of student athletes may require some more investigation or follow-up, but roughly only one to 2% of athletes will be disqualified. So if you find yourself doing a little more investigation, don't, don't be upset. It will happen, but very rarely are we going to tell children that they can't participate. I did see as high as 5% on one of the other websites. Yeah. That's what I seen too. It was about, was, yeah. And that was an older, I mean, that was a study from eight years ago, which I'm not saying that it's not valid still, but I mean, things have probably changed. But either, either way, we're looking at 1% to 5% of athletes not being cleared. So, honestly, it's a very small percentage. I did not see, and it did not break it down in any of the sources I've used, as to what was the biggest. One of the bigger ones I saw that they made sure to talk about or follow up on was concussion and that's a big thing and we've covered that before so that would be one of those red flags if you have a student athlete coming in with a history of concussion that you are probably automatically going to want to do some further investigation on but yeah no i know concussions i I know we did talk about that very very early in in our episodes and maybe it's something we need to revisit at some point but you know uh, the more we learn about that the more that that is one of the the questions that I take very, very seriously whenever I'm looking through the history of the exam that they filled out, or, you know, the questionnaire that they filled out is, you know, when was their last concussion? How many concussions have they had? I mean, that's another big thing, you know, it's, and I get in some States, you know, that like Friday night lights, Friday night football is what it's all about. And I get that, but at what risk, you know, if your kids had seven, eight, nine concussions, is it safe to continue to put them out on the football field and get their bell rung every damn weekend? 
You know, I mean, that's. I think that's a discussion, but I would tell you right now, I do not believe if I have a child with that many concussions coming into my office, I would feel, I feel that I would be able to clear them. At that point, I would say you are going to have to get a neurologist that says his eggs aren't scrambled because yeah. I'm not clearing them at this point in time. But that is, you, you bring up a, a really good point. One of the sources I used was the U.S. National Library of Medicine's Medline Plus. And some of the things it talked about, um, you know, the, the basics are, you know, measuring height, weight, blood pressure, vision, and your basic physical exam. It says um, you can ask about diet, drugs, alcohol, supplements. I do understand supplements. A lot of children are using stuff like that right now in sports, like pre-workout, which I find to be probably overkill. But, you know, going into immunizations, a list of medications, um, but concussions, dislocations, any episodes of syncope, chest pains, or anything like that really need to be noted in your HPI when you're dealing with them so that you can have a clear picture of what may be going on with that uh, child's health. Yeah. Ones that I looked at reviewing that review of systems and that questionnaire, about 75% of conditions are going to, I mean, are going to be glaringly obvious at that point as far as like, hey, this needs to be more, more in-depthly looked at. You know, so like Tom was mentioning, you, know, you want to know about any previous injuries, whether it was, you know, shoulders, knees, if they've had surgeries, things of that nature. Um, of course, the cardiovascular stuff, you know, and I agree with Tom, you know, like the syncope, the dizziness, um, episodes of chest pain like that. I know the one other big one that is uh, a big question is any family member with sudden cardiac unexplained death under the age of 50 should at least warrant some more investigation as opposed to just a, you know, blanket statement of, oh, yeah, I'm sure they're fine. Concussion, like Tom said, and then your respiratory symptoms, your asthma um, is your biggest one there. Not to say that you don't want student athletes that are playing, you know, with asthma, but you want to know how well it's controlled. You know, that's where a lot of that questioning gets into it before you do the actual um, exam. So when you're getting that questionnaire form, don't just, oh, I'm sure it's fine. Or, you know, they bring in a blank form to fill out and, you know, just trust that they're going to fill it out later. You really want that questionnaire filled out beforehand so that you can review everything with them. And I think that's the point, personally, that it's good to have a parent in there, too. Not to say that you don't want a parent in there the entire time, but particularly for that, because there are times that the kid may not know. You know, they may have had something when they were younger, and you ask them about it, and they're like, I don't know. Where the parent's going to be able to give you more information as far as that aspect. Well, and one of the things, um, I believe it's on the American Academy of Family Physicians, as well as the Cleveland Clinic website as well, is a history of heart murmur. So you're right. The child may never have known that his pediatrician has ever diagnosed him with that pr previously. And so that's a really good time for that parent to be in the room. And maybe you can dig into it a little deeper at that point. One of the things, and again, this is specific to the Cleveland Clinic website, is seasonal. Like, do they have a history of heat stroke or heat related illnesses? So, you know, these kids that are going out and playing in the heat, practicing for football and stuff like that, that might be something that you need to dig into a little further. Whereas something that's an indoor sport or later in the year, like wrestling or basketball may not be something as significant. So making sure you have a complete history is really important on these sports physicals. You know, since we're kind of talking about cardiac stuff and, and the questionnaire, uh, the American Heart Association uh, recommendations on screening for cardiovascular abnormalities and competitive athletes 
personal history, if they have elevated blood pressure, which is one that I do look at. And, you know, that's particularly in our, uh, like our college age kids, you know, because we'll do like college physicals where we'll go in and run a whole bunch of kids through the, through the physicals. And, you know, they'll come in with this crazy blood pressure. And you're like, what's going on? Oh, well, they had just done pre-work. You know, they just taken pre-workout because they were working out or they've had, you know, 17 bang drinks or whatever the case may be. And so you got to kind of deep dive into that. Um, any excessive dyspnea or fatigue with exercise, uh, again, chest pains, the murmur, syncope, again, the premature death of a family history, any family members with uh, hypertrophic or dilated cardiomyopathy, uh, long QT syndrome, Marfan syndrome, or any arrhythmias. And then on your physical exam, if the uh, regular arterial blood pressure is high, femoral pulses, uh, of course, the murmur, and then again, the, the Marfan syndrome are some things that the American Heart Association, you need to deep dive into a little bit more. Now, something I would like to point out, and this is by both the American Academy of Family Physicians and the American College of Physicians, is that an annual EKG for low risk patients is not necessary. So if you feel like you have to order an EKG on every sports physical or that's how you were trained, that is not a recommendation. If the child has a history of heart related health issues, sure, you might want to you know, use that tool. But as a standard, every kid's going to get something like that, or just because they have had something in their past may not be the most necessary tool. Which I really kind of found interesting because I know a couple of years ago, there were several uh, cardiac deaths on, on high school for like football fields, uh, obviously the biggest one, but there was a push to have every athlete have an EKG um, prior to getting clearance. Well, and I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but it, in a few of those cases, for sure, um, that I saw and that were reviewed, it tends to be something related to some of the stuff you just talked about. Poor health, like as in poor diet nutrition, taking extreme amounts of supplements or caffeine or caffeinated drinks, stuff like that is more of a direct route. So even then, an EKG wouldn't have been representative of the underlying problem. The underlying problem was the kid was artificially raising his blood pressure and then they were having the cardiovascular event. One of the other things that I directly remember getting screened for in my sports physicals, but is no longer a recommendation is do not screen adolescents for scoliosis, which is a recommendation of the American Academy of family physicians. So I found that really strange because I still, you know, check for back pain and joint and muscle and all that other stuff. But a direct check for scoliosis is no longer a recommendation. So I was like, huh, that that's an interesting thing. One of the other things and I know Ben, <laughs> we were talking about it earlier. Also, if there is no pre-existing genital injury or signs or ab of abnormality or hernia, we also in males do not necessarily have to be checking for inguinal hernias anymore. What? So, yes, I know that is the fear of every young man that walks into my office now. And I'm like, relax. <laughs> Let me ask you some questions before you, you know, get all worked up over this. Because, man, that is just striking fear in the hearts of young men all over America. And uh, it's, it's pretty funny to watch. But you can be like, nah, there's a couple of things we can do first. So you know what, if that's how you were trained, I don't think it's necessarily something that they're saying don't do, but it's certainly not something that is you have to do or is a recommendation to do. 
Yeah, and that that is the big one that I know that, uh, and I think the reason that kids are afraid of that is because, um, you know, as children, that's what we had done to us, and so therefore it gets passed on to them. Oh, hey, you know they're gonna grab they're gonna grab your balls, they're gonna grab your balls, you know, and <laughs> which then just yeah freaks them out. But I do think it's interesting that it's not necessarily a, a recommendation anymore. And one of the docs that I work with, you know, his point on it was how many kids have died from a hernia on the field? Well, probably, probably none. Well, how many died of cardiac disease or, you know, cardiac sudden cardiac death? Well, quite a few. Well, which thing, you know, which thing are we, do we need to screen more for? Exactly. And so I, it, it, again, it's one of those, if they're like, well, this happened or I was lifting weights and now I got sudden pain in the right side of my groin. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to have to do a little more examination, but if you do your regular physical, they have no lower abdominal pain, no pain with, you know, cough, uh, no weakness or anything like that. I, I would say, no, nah, we're probably pretty good to go ahead and skip over this. So Ben, yes, do you know, one of the things that we probably should have covered at the beginning, but I think this was an interesting thing because so many times I have parents at the last minute bringing their children in and suddenly we'll do 16 damn sports physicals in a day because everybody forgot to do it. Do you know what the recommendation of a timeline for these sports physical is? Um, I do are because I can't speak correctly. I do not. And I'm sure that mine are probably going to be substandard as far as the time. <laughs> no, I, this is the recommendation on all three of those websites I've talked about before is six to eight weeks before physical activity begins is when oh, they okay. should be having it. I thought you're meaning the time like that it should take you to complete. Oh, the exam. I was no, like, oh, no, because I can crank through some of these. I mean, especially, you know, healthy kids. And there's no, you know, the questionnaires are normal or if they're kids that I see routinely that I know real well, I mean, you can crank through quite a few of them. That's what I thought you were meaning. No, I meant like, when should the parents be getting them? No, I, I agree with you. If it's a kid that you have seen multiple times, you know that there's no family history. You look through the questionnaire and then you go through your standard set of questions in the beginning and they're like, no, I've never passed out. No, I've never had chest pain. No, it's going to be a fairly quick. And I try to tell them the physical tends to be the shortest part of the physical, yeah. <laughs> the actual checking though. Mostly me asking you a bunch of annoying questions is what's going to take us the most amount of time. So I think it would be good for a minute though, since we haven't really, we've discussed about things that you need to be checking, but here are some more of the things that you should absolutely be looking into that if they come up as positive, that this could either A, be disqualifying or B, at the very least, you need to limit their sports activities because that's also one of those boxes a lot of people don't pay attention to on the sports physicals is it'll say, you know, cleared, not cleared or limited to. So some of the things, you know, also, uh, if you don't do an abdominal exam, which I do, I, I highly suggest because an acute enlargement of spleen or liver is something that can keep them from participating. Um, you've already talked about stuff like QT syndrome. That would, of course, be something you'd want to you know, investigate quite a quite a bit more. Um, some of the not funny. That's the wrong word. Some of the more like, oh, I never thought about that category, I should say. Interesting. Yes. Interesting is. Poorly controlled convulsive disorders does not knock you out of sports participate 
sports participation in general. They do recommend at the American Academy of Family Physicians that you should not participate in sports such as archery, riflery, swimming, weightlifting, strength training, or sports involving heights. And they're valid points. I mean, yeah, I mean, I I am not making fun of seizures, but that would be a really bad time in the middle of an archery match to have an episode. So it it is. I think that's interesting that like football is not on there. Well, I think the point is, is that if there is a um, seizure that happens, that it is not going to affect anyone else. It's not putting their life in danger, but if their kids target shooting, or he's rock climbing or swimming. Yeah. Yeah. Those are really bad times to develop a seizure. One of the other things that isn't really checked out a lot. And I, I, or I don't hear of other people checking out sickle cell disease. There should be no high exertion contact or collision sports with anybody with sickle cell disease. So that is one of those things. And I ran into a school that particularly was like, no, we want him tested for like it was just an athlete and i was like what what are we doing here so that was uh that was an interesting day and looked into it a little more and of course you know everything was good but it's something that i don't think we hear about very often but it is definitely one of those things that we need to keep in mind and and make sure we check those athletes for it i did find that interesting and i agree it's not something that i I mean, it's in the back of my mind, I guess, but it's not something that's really prevalent. Like, oh, I need to make sure that we're, you know, we're addressing that. So I did find that interesting. We're so trained, obviously, to look for the obvious. So what are we looking for? We're looking for concussions. Have you ever had a dislocated shoulder? You know, do you have chest pain when you go for a run? Those are the things that, you know, we're expecting. In the back of my head, I'm not thinking, oh, do they possibly have sickle cell? Like, that's not something I would normally. So it is good to keep those things in mind for us um, while we're doing it. And that's why we're do shows like this, the educational episodes so that we're like, Oh yeah, we need to, we need to make sure everyone is checking on that. And see, we're not all just about funny, funny, ha ha. No, we try to be serious too. Sometimes <laughs> sometimes I try, but it goes poorly. So, and I think everybody probably knows this, but I just want to add this to it. Routine lab testing is not recommended as part of the PPE in the absence of any symptoms. Now, obviously, there are symptoms, and you need to investigate that further. Uh, state regulations that require blood and urine testing as part of the PPE, PPE are antiquated. Uh, most of the positive screening tests are false positives because the conditions being tested for have a low prevalence in the youth athletic population. So routine lab testing is not necessarily needed before you can clear them uh, for sports. One of the other things I've had, and I've had it during the sports season, is a clearance to return. So if you are doing a sports physical that says, hey, this athlete will say sprained their ankle, some of the things that you need to be really looking for is, one, have they had an adequate amount of time to heal? So if this has been three days later and the coach is like, no, this guy really needs to come back to practice, you should be putting your foot down on that one. They need several weeks of time off. Um, And if they're on crutches or anything like that, to make sure that they can fully heal. Some of the things that you really want to make sure is that 
are they able to function? Like, are they able to walk without pain? Do they have a full range of motion? Do they have strength to that affected area? And can they pass some basic functional tests? Are they able to walk and bear weight without pain for a certain amount of steps, etc.? So sometimes the sports physical isn't just to clear you to start sports. Sometimes it's to clear you to return to sports. And that's when you have to maybe get down a little more specific. Like you don't have to do you should still do a, a very, you know, basic exam overall, but if they're there for knee pain, you need to really make sure that that knee is functional because that's also what you are signing that this person is able to go back and they're not going to re injure their knee based on an old injury. And my thought on that would be, it's a good time to make friends with the school's athletic trainers, assuming that they have athletic trainers because, you know, they're going to be more in depth into that, you know, physical therapy type stuff as far as assessing things like I'll get phone calls or text messages from our athletic trainers for schools locally. And they're like, Hey, you know, so-and-so is on your schedule and this is what I think. And this is what we got going on. Same thing for as far as like return to uh, sports. The only thing that I would caution about with the return to sports, of course, as we mentioned in our concussion episode, and I don't know how your state is, but in our state, we are not allowed as nurse practitioners to return someone to sports after a concussion that has to be an md or do and that's by state law uh, so make sure that you're aware with your local state recommendations on as far as like concussion and returning to sports i am pretty fortunate we have a really well-developed sports medicine program at my health system so we honestly pretty much as a rule if you are there for something like that we don't clear we were like you have to go to sports medicine and those physicians are specifically trained on you know, those symptoms and to be able to clear you to come back. So that is definitely something like you said, it is good to know those trainers. I'm, this is one of those areas where I'm at a disadvantage. I'm in a pretty populated area. There are a lot of schools in my area. It would not be practical for me to get to know everybody on a name to name basis or have that type of relationship. So at that point you do kind of have to start relying on, Hey, do I need to reach out to this trainer? Were the parents there? And you kind of got to put on your detective hat and maybe dig into this a little deeper before you clear them. And the other thing that I see a lot because of injuries and whatever the case may be is, and I say a lot, I mean, I may see this four or five times a year whenever I'm doing sports physicals around this time. And that's somebody who, let's say they tore their ACL nine months ago. And so they're still rehabbing and they're still in you know, a knee brace or whatever the case may be. And they come in for their sports physical. What I generally will do is I will clear them for everything except for that knee or whatever the, the, that injury is. And I will put, you know, everything else is clear pending clearance from ortho based on their, their recommendations. And that way I'm, we're still taking care of the sports physical part, but I'm not in any way jeopardizing anything as far as that injury and the plan that the orthopedic has set forth to get them rehab back to where they need to be. Well, I think it's a, I'm going to say the word trap, but I don't mean what I'm saying is I think we all want to do what's best for the child. And sometimes we're like, Oh, well, you know, he says it feels good. So we're going to try and get back out there. And I want some of the newer nurse practitioners or PAs that may be listening to this. Don't, don't go down that road. All right. Unless you are an orthopedic specialist, if you're talking about the reconstruction of a joint, you cannot clear them. So 
please don't because uh, honestly not only is it bad for the the patient but it's also putting your ass right in the line of fire because if they go out and that acl pops guess who they're going to come looking for you so and guess who is going to be calling you <laughs> probably on your cell phone ripping yes. your ass an orthopedic surgeon orthopedic surgeon and they're not going to be happy with you yes some Don't orthopedic surgeon that's getting that phone call on a friday <laughs> night after the football game while he's been out drinking a six-pack <laughs> is not going to have a great conversation with you especially when it's because it, legitimate this is how it's going to go i i've never had it but i could tell you this is how it's going to go did you clear my patient who i reconstructed his knee to go out and play sports on a knee that i reconstructed did you do that? Because when you say yes, he's going to go, are you an orthopedic specialist? And you're going to have to say no. And I will tell you right now, that yes and no combination is not going to be pleasant when you have to answer for why you said it. So just play it smart. Like Ben said, you can go, hey, you know what? You're right. You're physically able, but you got to go have somebody check out that right knee. And that's that's a smart play for both the patient and for yourself. So it's not, this isn't a case of turfing the patient and making someone else do all the work. This is what's actually best for everybody involved. Well, Tom, do we want to get briefly into kind of the physical exam? Because it's very similar to uh, a real sports physical. I mean, we talked a lot about the history and everything, and that's been the majority of this episode, but we should probably harp on uh, the actual physical exam, even though it doesn't take long most of the time. We should at least probably hit on that yeah that sounds probably like a good idea i i do want to point out that if one of the things i always feel confident on is that if you've done the base work like you've looked through the questionnaire you've asked all the right questions the physical should be the easy part like you should be able to breeze through that pretty quick so make yes. sure you do the 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 groundwork first don't do the physical and then go wait a second You've had a heart attack like that's a bad time to figure out that something is, is wrong. So do all the groundwork and then get into the hands on part. So we'll talk briefly, just kind of musculoskeletal examination. You want to do a general inspection. You want to make sure they can tilt their heads yeah, make sure that the neck is working as it's supposed to be, um, particularly in patients who have any history of any neck injuries or anything as far as that goes, stingers, burners. You want them to look at the floor, the ceiling, the shoulders, make sure everything rotates. As far as the neck, shoulders, you want them to raise their arms uh, from their side, touch their hands above their head, keep their elbows extended. You want to have them hold their arms in front of their body, hold their hands behind their neck, bring their elbows back as far as possible. Um, elbows, you want to have them flex and extend that. Um, the knee, of course, you want to have make sure that uh, you get good range of motion. The Inability to do the duck walk maneuver should prompt a thorough knee and hip examination, um, an exclusion for painful activities until a definitive diagnosis and rehabilitation uh, plan is established. And then, of course, ankles, make sure that they can uh, have good range of motion and they can hop on those ankles without any issues. You know, one of the helpful things for me is and and this is uh situational my exam rooms are set up most of the time my patient and the parent are sitting across the room in a chair and i ask him to walk over and hop up on the table yeah. and just watching that you see a lot like if he's not able to climb up on the, the table clearly there's some things i need to look onto but if they just run over jump climb right up on the table they're rotating their head around to look at you to talk i mean there's a lot of things that you can rule out or assess 
just by talking and watching the patient while they're doing some regular movements. And that's yeah. one of the things I do a lot. When my MHX vision that's done in the hallway, which I can see from my office. Um, and so I can actually watch them walk out, walk back in. So, yeah, I mean, it's that kind of across the room assessment that you can do a lot of, like Tom said, and rule out a lot of stuff as far as that goes. Um, cardiovascularly, you need one thing to remember is, you know, they may have bradycardia, particularly if they're a well-endurance athlete. Um, even elite athletes, they say, can have a resting heart rate less than 40 beats a minute, which may freak some people out. But I, I would be freaked out. I don't care if you are a world champion triathlete. If you have a 38 resting pulse, I'm going to stare gonna, at you for a second. You're going to make the, the hair on the back of your neck stand up a little bit. You want to listen for any murmurs, any abnormal heart sounds, gallops, clicks, anything like that. Just make sure you're auscultating the heart really well. And then I want to look at BMI. Again, eyes, uh, visual acuities, 2040 in one or both eyes should be referred out for further evaluation. And that's the one thing that we see so much is it's like they'll come in for their sports physical and their vision will be shit. And it's like, oh, I forgot my glasses. Well, it's really hard to clear you. <laughs> yeah, I, I it, it's hard to clear you with the corrected vision when it's not corrected. Yeah, that's crazy. I don't know. Uh, the big thing, of course, when particularly like rash alerts and things of that nature, you need to look at skin. Uh, so skin infections, you know, impetigo, uh, fungal infections, scabies, molluscum contagiosum. That's one that will disqualify them from sports, at least temporarily. And of course, they have wonderful skin forms for, for that for you to fill out. Yes. Ringworm, if you are not aware of what it looks like and uh, get a acquainted with that because if you're going to be doing high school or middle school sports physicals for wrestlers it's something you're going to be tackle multiple times throughout the season it's just a nature of the beast it's a close contact sport if one other person has it everyone that's near them is going to have it so it's it's a simple treatment process sometimes you got some stubborn ones you have to go a little deeper on but honestly it's just a being able to quickly identify it and doing that skin examination in the first place is pretty key in stopping it. Beyond that respiratory system, of course, you know, you're listening pretty wheezing on auscultation. Yeah, maybe a sign of asthma or exercise-induced bronchi bronchioconstriction. Um, abdomen, like Tom mentioned earlier, the spleen. Um, so any type of organ megaly is going to be a disqualifying condition for contact sports and probably warrants some further investigation. And then again, I always ask about, you know, do you have any hernias? And I kind of palpate in the area without actually grabbing the balls as, you know, happened to us when, <laughs> when we went through physicals. Oh, uh, yay. Tom, anything I missed on physical exam? I kind of went through that kind of quick, but I think, that, no. I think I hit everything. So basically all you're doing is you're translating your questionnaire and all your questions into a hands-on. So if you've already asked them about, you know, any history of any diseases that may be enlarging their spleen, you should already have an idea of what you should be feeling. So realistically, all you're doing is making that transition to verifying the information. So no, I, I don't think that there's anything I would particularly add or change. It's just making sure the biggest thing is we tend to get in a hurry and wanting to get it in and out because you got the two other patients that's already roomed. But 
it, it's really a very simple, quick process, but you have to do the process, you know? So that's really the key is just, Hey, it's only going to take a couple minutes to make sure you're doing what's best for your patient and yourself. And actually, I don't know how many times I've seen like, well, like, well, <laughs> there was no guarding on physical exam. I'm like, so did you touch their stomach? Cause that's a pretty key part to an abdominal exam is listening and, and feeling. So those are the types of things I would just say is don't just check it off. If you're going to put that this person doesn't have any heart murmurs, clicks, rubs, gallops, you might want to actually make sure that you listen to their chest thoroughly and that you can verify that. Yeah. And, you know, Tom mentioned a process, and I think that's a great wording that I would use in that, you know, if you're a newer provider and, and you're kind of freaked out by sports physicals or whatever the case may be, or, you know, you're a seasoned one, you should have a process that you go through. Like every one of my sports physicals basically is going to be the same. I mean, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do the same process every time. Uh, that way I don't miss something, you know, and so it, it works out well that way. Um, and then I would say, you know, yes, you're doing that form. At least for us, we also chart it in our computer as far as, you know, we have an HPI and an office note. Uh, you know, make sure all that information is correct as well. Don't just pre-populate shit in there that you didn't actually check. You know, if you didn't palpate breast, you probably shouldn't chart that you palpated breast. Otherwise, you know, it looks bad for you to go, well, this says you did this. And yeah. So. And, and that's what I was getting at is often, you know, I like templates as much as the next person. But like if you click on it and it says, you know, you check their vision or, you know, you made sure their pupils were equal reactive and accommodation or accommodating, you should probably actually, you know, take a light and make sure that everything's working the way it's it's supposed to. I would tell you one of the things I felt has been pretty good for me, and it's easy to remember as far as the process, is I literally start at the head and work down. Like, don't skip around. Don't go, oh, I'm going to cover this and then this. Uh, especially if you try and do it by body systems, it's in, it tends to be a little more muddled. I just start at the head and work my way down, and that's generally a pretty good way of making sure you cover all the basics. So if you're one of the newer nurse practitioners or providers listening to the show, develop a good habit and then reinforce it because that will save your butt a lot of times. Well, you know, like we mentioned at the top of the show, you know, we're talking about a 1% to 5% that don't that are disqualified for one reason or another. If that happens, don't feel, you know, don't feel like you're this horrible person because you didn't qualify them to play sports or, you know, you feel guilty about it for whatever reason that you disqualified them. There was a reason for that. And ultimately, you know, it's the safety of that athlete that we're taking into consideration when we're doing these sports physicals. It's not, you know, whether or not Johnny's going to get a football scholarship or not, it's, we need to make sure that they're safe doing it, doing so. One of the things I would say, if someone's trying to lay that type of guilt trip on you, either a, maybe there is a bigger problem. Like, wait a second. Why are you so desperate to put this kid's safety on the line for something that we don't feel is safe? The other thing I would tell you is if someone's trying to lay that guilt trip on you, if they're trying to say, Oh, they're not going to get a scholarship. It's not going to be because of the sports physical. <laughs> like if they're online to do that, them getting a cleared sports physical by their primary care provider is not going to be that stepping stone or that obstacle that prevents them. So make sure if you have a belief and you know what's right, do not let someone talk you out of doing the right thing. 
And on an ending note for that, something I found interesting on Up to Date, it talks about legal issues in relation to sports physicals. And it says that athletes have had legal recourse to seek the right to participate in sport against medical advice. However, the courts have upheld clinicians' decisions to exclude athletes based upon recommendations and published expert guidelines. Uh, That was a uh, court case, Knapp versus Northwestern in 96. Um, In these circumstances, the the clinician should document in the medical record the recommendation to avoid participation, and the recommendation was discussed with the athlete and the athlete's parents. Um, And then they even go as far as saying, well, some clinicians suggest even uh, requesting that the patients or the parents and the athlete sign a document describing that this was discussed. So there have been cases where they've tried to come back and say, no, excluded me for, for a bullshit reason, and then the courts have upheld the clinician's decision as long as you have the backing of expert guidelines. Yeah. <laughs> that wraps up the sports physical episode of Just Some Podcast, and uh, we didn't even touch your balls once. See? Not even <laughs> once. And I should also say that there is no recommendation on examining a female, so don't even bother going down that road. Only the guys have to suffer on that one. That's why we kept referencing ball jokes. Um, So if you like this episode and you want to hear more stuff that we're doing, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all at Just Some Podcast. You can find us on the web at www.justsomepodcast.com. Our email is admin at justsomepodcast.com as well. Um, hopefully, you know, by the beginning of 2021, Tom, we'll be able to uh, start offering some continuing education for some of these episodes, and that will be on our website as well, which I'm excited to well, you know, see if that all pans out like we want it to. Yeah. <laughs> the man of many words there, the Rocket League is just taking him over. So he's. Oh, you know, boy. Yeah. Oh, I wonder if we should have to do a physical for esports. So. Oh, I think we totally should. Um, <laughs> I mean, if you're getting a scholarship for it, you should have to have, you know, a, a physical for it. Checking like your thumbs to make sure yeah. that they, they have carpal tunnel syndrome. See? So, see? Neck. Vision. Yeah. Vision. Yeah. yeah, see? I think we're on, I think we're on a whole new thing here, Tom. We you know we should petition for esports sports physicals. Yep, there you go. Hey, sponsored by just some podcast. <laughs> oh, that's gonna be popular. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure it will. Yeah, I oh. played 42 hours of Oregon Trail. I need someone to give me a physical. So, <laughs> well, if you play 42 hours of Oregon Trail, I guarantee you, at least once, you have died from dysentery. Oh um, yeah, dysentery. <laughs> You're gonna know a lot about dysentery. <laughs> On the next episode of Just Some Podcast, we'll talk dysentery. No, we won't. Yeah. Um, anyway, hey, you know what? Hope you got something from this episode. Hopefully, this will make you feel more comfortable with doing all those sports festivals that are going to be showing up in your office here in the next few weeks. But on that note, hope everybody has a great week. Hey, everybody, stay safe out there. I just asked you why. I am alone I caught some road bridge and I thought of you And all the many times you say I should have known Took a press so I could find my chi Find mediocrity's the best that I could do
the same without you